Welcome to the Deeper Into Movies podcast. My name is Stephen T. Hanley. I'm the founder and lead curator of Deeper Into Movies. We are a pop-up cinema based in London and New York. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by writer, director Charlotte Regan to talk about her debut movie, Scrapper, which is getting a lot of love. It stars our buddy Harris Dickinson and first time actress let me i'm gonna blank on her name lola campbell there we go and this was such a great conversation i think charlotte is so funny and honest and has zero bullshit about her she's a real one so this is me and charlotte regan Yeah, pretty good. What posters have you got? Is this your office or your in your home office vibes? Home office. So we got Gamo, Billionaire Boys Club. So and then the only three posters I have in my house are After Hours, Paris, Texas, and the Peter Bogdanovich movie. Okay, they nice. all laugh. Bangers. Paris, Texas is the best. Yeah, that's my like top three letterbox i like blowout as well but the poster's really ugly so it can't go on the wall yeah yeah fair enough (laughs) how about you do you have movie merch i do not my flat is like quite um like quite serial killer vibes there's absolutely because i'm renting i wouldn't want to like get into all that oh no you've got to pay for this your two 2k deposits gone so it's very minimal no coasters anywhere there's no personality anywhere. No, 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 it's, just, it's just protecting the rent clause. That's fair. <laughs> what did you grow up watching? What kind of teenager were you? I didn't really watch watch much. Like my nan would watch like me and my mum would call them like weepy films. She would watch like really sad films like where people just keep like fervor like messing up their lives you know those kind of ones like she loved yeah. those like uh, not hallmark films but just the ones where people were just so sad and got sadder um so sometimes i'd watch them but i didn't i didn't really go cinema my family weren't really like a arty an arty family so yeah more like we'd watch the football but that was it that's not very cinematic unfortunately or it is yeah yeah so what were you doing when you weren't watching movies? Did you like school? I liked school. Um, I did I did not like school very much, no. Um, I wasn't very good at anything. Um, what was I doing instead of watching movies? Just playing football. It was all very, the house was very football, football orientated. So it was very Arsenal, Arsenal chat, Arsenal games. Um, my nan like took me to the only cinema experience I ever remember is when I was super young, my nan snuck me into the Odeon on Holloway Road, uh, thinking we were going to see, I can't remember what it was, maybe it was a Disney or something light, and accidentally took me into Lord of the Rings, and I was quite young at the time, and it was like, 
way too dark for me to be watching, I imagine. Right. Um, but I just remember like being really obsessed with it and the feeling it kind of could create in you. So maybe that, but I didn't go on to like, yeah, not like Steven Spielberg vibes, making Super 8 films and watching loads of arty films or anything like that. No. So how did you land into filmmaking? Something must have sparked somewhere to get you the bug to make stuff. I started making music videos when I was like 15 uh, for my friends who were like rappers and things like that. So I got into to that, more the editing and the shots and stuff like that more than anything. And obviously I love I love cinema now, but yeah, let's so, let's so about them for sure. Our friend Scott O'Donnell said that you used to just approach people and ask, can I make a video for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, like rappers and things like that. Yeah, yeah, and just like not i'm gonna say i was gonna say dm them but i don't know if dming was a thing back then i think it was like myspace myspace vibes and that um but yeah yeah yeah. i would just meet rappers on shoots and stuff and ask if i could make their next video and things like that yeah and it always worked because who doesn't want a free or cheap music video you know did you have your own equipment by that point yeah yeah um uh like started with like one of the ones you held the, the screen flipped out for a little while and then it was like a 550d like dslr days came in so kind of went then a 5d like went up through the dslr vibes yeah yeah so how did you start playing with cameras let's go back this is just i've never met anyone who didn't grow up watching movies so, who became a director so i mean this is unique this is we haven't had the story on the podcast before um yeah I don't know I don't know I think it was just that everyone was like it was when the grime scene was getting quite big um yeah. so all my friends were like within that world and, and I loved that world like I loved the music and I loved like going to the studio and watching them record and I tried rapping quite a few times and I just could not do it unfortunately I, was, I had no musical talent um and I like wasn't cool enough to like stand in their videos you know to be like one of the background people just like yo so I think my only option to like stay in that world was to do the music videos like because I wanted to be Mm -hmm. around it I really wanted to like document that kind of like grime culture and just be in the world and be in the studio but I wanted like a reason to be there so it kind of started it started through that really and they were all terrible at first and I would edit them on iMovie and no one really wanted them you know but it just kind of like everything it just kind of grew and I was lucky that all my friends were were the rappers and they were starting off in their career so a flawed video worked for them do you know what I mean it didn't have to be perfect at the time like and it just they so they would trust me and the more we went on and the more they got more of an audience like so did I and it just worked through that I guess yeah was this like the Risky Roads era? Yeah, yeah, it was like UK overstood, like Benny Banks and Joe Black and like all those lot and Squeaks and stuff like that. It was kind of around that time. Link Up TV was coming about and GRM Daily and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, Bashi used to go to my school. That's the only rapper who I know. Nice, that's a had, good one. Uh... Bashi's a gem. Yeah, yeah. He he gave, he was like, I'm working on my new mixtape. It's called the Suck Your Mom mixtape, and I was like. That's a great time. Yeah. And then he had the Chupa Chups mixtape. Yeah. And then the kind of a Chupa Chup was like a signature lollipop accessory trademark yeah, yeah. and stuff, which was cool. Yeah. Did you have concepts of these videos or did you kind of just make them up as did you have to like sell them with like a concept and a 
deck kind of thing or were they just down for whatever for years it was just performance videos especially whilst i got used to using cameras and that kind of world um and then it kind of changed. I think I was talking to someone about this this morning, weirdly. I think Bashi's video Ransom that he did with like Schoolchild was a big part of like what changed the music video game because it was like a narrative that was using those guys as the main actors. Um, and that kind of, it felt like was a moment in music videos where people were like, oh, we mm-hmm. don't have to just stand in front of the camera rapping, you know, we yeah. can do these concepts. So whilst the trends changed it started to change what like people like me were being allowed to do i guess so i could start pitching narratives and it would be less of like an alienating response that i would get in return to them if you know what i mean so it kind of grew naturally with time and and, yeah started pitching those the bigger stuff as i went on yeah yeah. scorcher i've met when i did a big feature on top boy he was cool yeah he's incredibly tall is he yeah he's he's like six he's like he's definitely like six foot six or something it's i have a photo next to him where i just look ridiculous did you, just, he's, did you meet kano you know, as well he was the only one who wouldn't participate oh. i got everyone all the directors all the cast but yeah it was weird kano was the only one who we couldn't get because he was promoting his album at the time Fair enough. i love kano i think he's just like such a captivating actor and my favorite rapper in the whole world he's just incredible isn't he? yeah yeah him in the latest series when it um when it got restarted for netflix yeah. he's incredible he's so haunted and traumatized really heavy yeah yeah he's so good it, it was because it, the first series, two series is really good because he's just a chaotic one yeah who's just going to fuck shit up with his hot temper and stuff. But yeah, yeah. now his, his character's completely pivoted. It's really exciting seeing like yeah, yeah. Ashley up against the ropes and Kano's just a, yeah, just, just a ghost almost. He's so haunted by all his, yeah. the shit he's experienced. He's so like captivating to watch and has like this edginess where you're never quite sure of like what he's going to do, which is like such an exciting quality for an actor, I find. Like every scene, yeah. I have no idea what's going to happen because he's such a, yeah, incredible performer. Yeah, yeah. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Mubi. Mubi is a creator streaming platform bringing you the best in cinema. So regular listeners of a pod will know I usually dig in and find free gems from the Mubi platform. Today, I only need to give you one and the film is called Passages. And I'm going on record for me, so far, it's the movie of the year. It's about a gay couple whose marriage is thrown into crisis when one of them begins an affair with a young woman. Ben Wishaw, who's been on the pod before, is fantastic as he always is. Franz Rogowski is a force of fucking nature. These guys are just incredible. Passages is now in cinema across the UK and Ireland and many other countries 
and will stream exclusively on Mubi later this year. To find out more about the movie and where to see the movie in cinemas, go to Mubi.com forward slash passages. I'm telling you, film of the year. And just so you know, after you've seen passages and you've been punching the feels, you may need some other movies to pick you up. We got you. Go to Mubi.com forward slash deeper into movies for 30 days free of great cinema that's movie.com slash deeper into movies What was your initial idea for the film? How did it, did you have a spark of an idea that you built from or an image in your head or something? Uh, no, it, it kind of started uh, very different. When we started Eye Features, it started as like um, a teenager and his nan running away from drug dealers. It was much more like yeah. Guy Ritchie. It had much more crime in it. And yeah, it was very different to what it has uh, become now. It, it, and it just ever changed and I have no idea why or what made it change it, it just is yeah I'm very uninspiring and stuff like that <laughs> and what was the casting process like how many kids did you see before you landed on Lola oh uh, yeah loads because we'd been we got quite into the casting process the year we were greenlit before we got pushed back so we and that was pre-COVID, so we were going into schools and getting to like watch classes and kind of talk to kids within schools. And we met quite a few great like people for Georgie in particular. But then a year later, when you know COVID had changed and we would put back into pre-production or whatever, we went to meet some of those girls. And just in that one year, they had changed quite a bit. You know, it's that age mm -hmm. between like eleven and twelve, and like starting secondary school, I think, where they've kind of become quite self-conscious and, you know, mm -hmm. suddenly talking about aliens or magic had become uncool mm -hmm. and it was yeah. a lot more about fashion and, like, boys and things like that. So, uh, we, which was all for the best because I honestly think, like, no one could have done the film other than Lola. I think she is, like, what saves the film is a bad way to put it, but she anchors the film and she carries it on her shoulders, you know, which is such a big thing for someone that was, like, 11 at the time we filmed it. Yeah. How do you know with a young actor that's going to carry the film that she's got the chops and dedicated enough to carry it through? I think you just don't know, innit? You just you just kind of hope, but you know there's no way to know. You know, you can like do sessions, mm -hmm. you can do rehearsals, but nothing like nothing can compare to like standing on set with like a load of people around and having the pressure of a schedule and a day on you and knowing that you're in exactly you've yeah. seen so you just don't know so it's just like a a never-ending like risk and I guess just we like me and Theo and Shaheen who's the casting director who's incredible were always like as long as like Lola is the priority and by then she was obviously like all of our like best friends like she we just, mm -hmm. like absolutely loved Lola 
Um, so we just kept thinking, like, as long as we only give her what she can handle and as long as she has a good time, then who gives a fuck about the film? Do you know what I mean? Like, Lola is much more important than a film. And luckily, she just got there on the day and just loved the environment and loved the kind of pressure and kind of thrived in it. So it kind of worked out and we got super lucky. I'm sure that's not the same with everyone with fasting young people here. Yeah, I guess, because it's one thing agreeing to something and then another thing being on set when everyone's around you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When you've not done it and you have no idea no agreeing to and what it means for a film to then be released and for everyone at your school to see it you know it's a never-ending process things yeah. that you have no idea what you've really agreed to because you haven't experienced it before for sure yeah yeah i remember when i was in uni and the last year we wouldn't we wanted to cast someone around 12 in a was it, it was like 10 or 12 in a film and we went to a young acting school and we sat in on a few classes and we said, yeah, yeah, we think the girl with the blonde hair is the one. Can you ask her, does she want to do the film? Yeah. And, and they were like, okay, cool. And they just brought in another kid completely who was so excited. And I was like, <laughs> "That's not, yeah, that's not her. Oh. <laughs> it was so gutting. And then it was like, I thought you said the blonde. And I was like, the other one in the blue jumper. And then they had to, we had to oh, no. crush that but crush that one's hope and dreams and then bring in the other one and yeah like, brutal. this is just yeah this was like some x-factor savagery of well, well, you're not did you not write a, like a little <laughs> side role so we gave a little we said we've got a group scene this is the other mayhem we did that we wanted them to be throwing fireworks but so we just made these spot we got sparklers and put them in these little plastic tubes so they look kind of like they were throwing rockets yeah and then one of them hit the big box of fireworks that was going off all around and it knocked it on its side and the fireworks kind of almost flew at the kids. Yeah. And I was like, this is fucking insane. We're going to kill someone if this continues. Yeah. So. And, but the parents were all there and I was like, everyone, you know, dark. Yeah, yeah. And, and then we just got back into it before the parents could yeah, yeah. pull their kids off set for <laughs> fear of getting a rocket in their face yeah and then, have you seen that like viral video with all the london kids that are shooting fireworks at each other and they put the harry potter music to it yes that's incredible yeah it sounds a bit like you've recreated that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how was it balancing harris's performance with lola's and getting them how, how much time did they have together bonding and stuff before the film they had like a week of rehearsal that we did before the film, which Alan was meant to be at as well, but something happened in his school with COVID, I think, so he couldn't be. Um, so it was like a week of them like sitting in the school playground, which was our unit base, and becoming friends. You know, it wasn't really rehearsal. Lola didn't really enjoy rehearsing. She would just read it all out really monotone. But... I think it was more important that they like chatted rubbish to each other and got to know each other. Lola is a super suspicious person. You know, you have to earn right. earn her friendship and trust, which is that yeah. very fair. That's how we all are, I guess. Um, so it was a time where Harris was kind of was doing that and showing up and being consistent. And they were just talking rubbish and talking about scenes and, you know, the filming process. And I think she took a lot from Harris, who is like an incredibly, he's just like mad selfless and like puts his ego mm -hmm. aside. And yeah, it's just like a mad, incredible human being and couldn't, no one else would have supported the kids like he did for sure. Yeah. yeah I think he's one of the best of his generation. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. He's a gem. 
Have you seen County Lines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's incredible in that. That film. He is. And it's shot so beautifully as well. It's like really cinematic. Like I've never seen something like I think Spare the DP did it. I'm probably fucking that up, but I, I love the ratio. It's that got like Academy TV ratio, sixteen. Mil. Yeah, yeah. It's very beautiful. So, how was it mixing the naturalistic elements and the fantasy elements together? That's a really interesting mix you have in your film, like for people talking directly to camera, for talking insect and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that uh, you know, believe did a lot for that kind of stuff. Um, it was something we'd always wanted to do, and I'd always wanted to like make a a working class film that wasn't like desaturated and like sad. And I feel like having the child's perspective on the film is what helps you you know gives you license to to lift it and to not make one of those films um i can Mm -hmm. see how it'd be hard if you didn't have a child at the center of it um but yeah it was for sure weird like a script process people would find those bits weird to read you know and that it's the same as like we're talking about knowing if lola could shoulder all that or not it's kind of similar with the stylized moments where you're never quite sure if they're gonna work and some of them work a lot better than others and some of them are dodgy you know and that's just it. it. It is what it is. I think me and Theo and Molly, our DP, like always said, we'd like rather take risks and make a flawed film rather than take like make a flawless but super safe film. We kind of didn't. We just didn't want to do that. We wanted to like feel like we were rooted in Georgie's perspective, and that meant it feeling like the kids were making the film. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's always a good way of just swing for the fences rather than play anything safe and yeah yeah how did the scene come about where they're doing the voiceover for the couple on the on the train station uh um i think a version of it was always in the script even when there was different like versions of the script and different characters there was always like a version of like finding characters that you assume are from a different world to yours and kind of like mocking uh, mocking them and that being undercut and to be, like Lola and Harris, that's one of the big scenes like during that rehearsal week that they spoke about and messed yeah. about with. Like Lola loved scenes like that. She loved comedy scenes. She hated the drama scenes or the emotional ones, but the comedy ones, she would like turn up to work with like a smile on her face, knowing she was doing a fun scene. So they mm-hmm. massively like worked on that and you know improved the dialogue and added like the thing about them the neighbors having a small lake was like all lola's edition and some of the best lines yeah it's yeah so a good time what was your most difficult scene to shoot um maybe the one the one where they like reunite where harris has been playing football with the kids and they're at the basketball court um, yes that was quite tough like it was a mixture of like lola doesn't like emotional scenes like like that so she wasn't enjoying it and then in addition to that like for some reason whenever we were on harris's coverage um someone would like zoom by on a bike or a plane would go over it happened on like seven takes in a row so we were like really kind of i imagine fucking with his flow by these constant interruptions that were uncontrollable you know what I mean there was nothing anyone could do and he knew that and was totally chill with it but I can imagine when you're an actor trying to get into a certain space to continuously have that happen and have to start again is you know not a joy um so that kind of it it was like raining then it was like glaring sun and it was raining it was just non-stop kind of weird interruptions yeah and how how was it for you as a director on your first film 
was it a fun experience were you stressed out yeah no it was it was mad joyful you know like lots of some of my best friends worked on it and I was surrounded by people I proper loved um obviously I know these things I find it more stressful in the edit to be honest where you're like coming to terms with what you've fucked up and what you can't fix but the shoot I never find too deep but I don't know I I do I'm sure at the time but I always kind of like remind myself to like get a grip and that I'm like not saving lives I'm like literally telling a story which is like kind of a privilege and a joy and I'm getting to do it with some of my best friends you know so I kind of constantly go by that at the and don't ever have too bad of a time I guess not that I can remember anyway yeah yeah the edit is uh I I enjoy editing but when you realize that this is the ingredients you have to work <laughs> with Amber's or you think you've got it and you're like, I knew I should have fucking done the one more. Yeah, yeah. You, you kind of double off yourself and think, should I go again? And it's like, no, let's move on. You're like, I knew it. Yeah, yeah. They're the ones that get it's you. All... Yeah, where you knew it. On the yeah, day. like I fucking knew it at the time, yeah, but yeah. I was conscious of everyone's, you know, patience and yeah, yeah. for time and, and thought we should move on. But yeah. Is there anything you think you're going to take on to your next feature? Any lesson you've learned that you've like never again or? Never again. What am I going to say? When the this is not a good one. This is not like a educational one. But when the animal people tell you that an animal can do a certain thing, it bloody never can. It never can. Absolutely never. This was this animal guy. He kept being like, "I've got all these cats. They can do whatever you need them to do." These cats would turn up. These cats would were not capable. He was defo, like overpromising what the cats were capable of doing so <laughs> i would just run with assuming that the animals cannot do nothing <laughs> yeah the animals can sit there and look cool but that is your limit of animals isn't it they either fancy it or they don't which is fair enough obviously um but otherwise yeah i can't think of anything mad inspiring no that's a good that's specific but that's a good one <laughs> how long do you give a animal before you're just like dude you're just wasting my freaking time with this shit. <laughs> um, surely, surely you go with like 10, 15 minutes and then if the animal is showing no sign of being down for... Because <laughs> we weren't even getting them to do anything. Like the cat just had to sit there, but the cat wouldn't even do that. Like, so it's obviously the cat has been caught, heartbreaking for the cat. But so, yeah, got to move on. You can't keep burning that time on a cat that does not want to sit somewhere. Can you? <laughs> That's funny. No, CGI cats from now on. Yeah, 100% big VFX budget in the works. Just green screen the cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. Did you show the cast or crew any movies for inspirational reference during the production? No, no, no. That's not really uh, my vibe. But I feel a bit like, like I think I'm an auteur doing that or something. I know it is cool, and my friends do it, and I rate it, but it's just not my vibe. Um, and Lola, she only likes EastEnders, like Letterboxd were asking for her favorite four. And I was like, Lola, take this serious, in it? Because it's like super cool. Everyone loves this. It's trendy. It's well yeah, trendy. Yeah, yeah. And she was like, EastEnders. And I was like, no, Lola, you've got to say something that people will like. Say something trendy, like say After Sun. Yeah. Everyone will love that. If it's not yeah. <laughs> But yeah, she wouldn't. So if I would have gave her a film to watch, she never would have watched it anyway. Yeah. What did you pick for your top four? Um, what did I pick for my top four? I change it. Do you change yours on Letterboxd based on how you're feeling? No, we get people are always on our on us. I, I, I like Letterboxd. I'm horrible updating it. Oh. 
and also because we program movies i feel i need to flex and be like yeah i was watching this russian film today when i was kind of just watching i'm watching lots of custom dance 90s teen movies and stuff but i don't know yeah i kind of think that the stuff we show is serious and important but at home my brain so much of the time just wants to watch something really soft and gentle and fun so. yeah that's fair yeah so why i i, I think people just be thinking what's this fucking guy <laughs> watching bring it bring it bring it on 24 7 on his letterbox and stuff bring so. it on though what a banger it's, it's an absolute banger absolute but... banger yeah you got served as well it's a classic banger do you remember you got served with b2k yeah yeah that's it. yeah yeah absolute yeah gem. yeah yeah, yeah. Well, what, yeah, what did you pick? What, what, what did is, you go with in the I end? I don't know what I picked, but my current four are Arri- okay. Arrival, Wicker Man, Wicker. Manchester by the Sea, Monos. Yeah, and then these are my non-arty Ninja Turtles weekend, the net that I've had. So, David. Talk to Me was terrifying. Talk to Me is so terrifying, oh. yeah. Especially like, the, yeah. it creeps up on you because it's so fun the first hour. They're just having such a great time. And then it's like, bang, you fucked your life up. It's like, oh, God. Yeah, I would never deal with uh, that hand. But it's such a great concept because it's so quick of just like, you grab the hand, you get possessed. Yeah. We film it for Bants. Let's go. Yeah. But it's, it, it's, 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 it doesn't need any more backstory or origin no. than that. It's just kind of like we're in. And, but yeah, I would never fuck with that. No, I would never t- touch the hand. Like. What good can come of it? Nothing. There's no... Actually nothing. Yeah. No. <laughs> It's really not worth it, but I love I love Manchester by the Sea. I think Casey Affleck is incredible in that. Yeah, That's yeah, a yeah. truly heartbreaking movie. Finally, what are you going to do next? Oh uh, yeah, God knows who knows, isn't it? <laughs> going to just watch some happy films. Ninja Turtles was a good start. Uh, play some basketball. Do you know who knows what work will be done? Yeah, I'm not thinking about it too much. Do you have an idea? Do you ever not that you have to mention it, but have you, have you got a, another dream project in mind? Uh, yeah, yeah, two different ones, but I, I'm a terrible for changing my mind or suddenly thinking it's the worst idea ever created, or you know, so it takes me a while to yeah ever ever do them. <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose you got to punch it up, and then you got to know this is going to be the next couple of years of your life. So. Yeah, yeah, big commitment. Yeah. Or just direct some EastEnders episodes. That's the dream. Lola would be super proud of me. (laughs) I remember reading that Danny Dyer improvises a bunch of his lines for the show and and they can't control him. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah." He'd be like, yeah, the film says, no, the script says I'm going to bed. So I walk in. I'm like, yeah, just going to knock out a few Zs. Yeah, nice. Yeah. That's That's hilarious. Cool. I'm going to let you go. This has been really fun. Okay, thank you for chatting. Yeah, you too. Keep up the great work. Have a good day, evening, day, evening. Yeah, both. Evening. Both. Yeah, day evening. Day evening. Cool. Bye.
that was me and Charlotte Regan. So that's it from me. One quick favor. If you enjoy the pod, give it a like and a subscribe. I've been told it helps a lot. And the bigger the podcast gets, the bigger our guests get. And yeah, I just want to keep it growing and growing. And I always want to keep it free. That's it. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Joshua Eustace for our beautiful music. And we will speak soon.